Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anul Polat. Welcome to this bonus slash, well, depending on how you look at it, it's either an episode that's a day late because it's not out on a regular Friday like the podcast usually comes out, or you can look at it as a bonus episode because, well, uh, you're getting a weekly podcast, at, at least these days. Um, there's a lot going on, so a lot of news that I wanted to catch you up on. We've got a couple of great guests lined up, so it's going to be busy, um, and it's been busy in the, on the video side, and, and travel is seeming like it's going to be a thing again, so I've got some travel plans as well. And I'm right now in the middle of recording a couple of videos, but in today's, speaking of, on today's episode, I want to talk about Turkey's bizarre lockdown, so bizarre corona lockdown that's happening right now that you might not know about. And I also want to talk a little bit about some behind the scenes of a couple of videos that are security related. One is uh, COVID related. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and then finally, I want to talk about the future of air travel and what that might look like. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about Turkey's lockdown. So for those of you who don't know, uh, right now it is the Islamic month of Ramadan, Ramazan. And that began a couple of weeks ago. And as in Turkey, as cases of COVID have been rising dramatically, looking at this BBC article, it said that number of daily cases at one point fell to about 6,000 in mid-February. But right now, before this lockdown, the numbers were much higher. So in response to that, the there has been a 17-day lockdown imposed. It's going to end on May 9th. But this lockdown, basically what that means is if you are Turkish people, let's make that distinction, um, have to remain indoors except for essential travel. So they can only go to the grocery store. That's it. Medical things. uh, If they're essential workers, uh, basically that's it. There's no going outside for a walk. There's no, you know, I don't know visiting your friends none of that's none of that is allowed this is similar to the lockdowns that i experienced about a year ago but those were four days in length and i, I gotta say that after the first first one was okay but then the after that a couple more weekends of that it was really it wasn't easy so uh, i can only imagine now a 17 day lockdown is is you know difficult especially both in terms of for your mental well-being Uh, but also just physically not being able to move around. Um, But this is happening because Turkey is trying to uh, stem this huge rise in uh, corona cases that they've had. But I will add that a lot of, like I mentioned last year, I will add that uh, there's a distinction between Turkish citizens and visitors. So if you're visiting Turkey as a tourist, um, if you're visiting then the lockdown doesn't apply to you, doesn't apply to holiday makers. So if you are not a Turkish citizen, you don't have to quarantine. It's really weird. I, I, I mean, I don't know. That doesn't seem that, that that's not how viruses work, right? We've said that before because that was the case over the summer. And according to Reuters, this article says Turkey welcomes foreign tourists while locking down locals. And this is very much the case. I mean, it's putting it, putting it, uh, putting it bluntly. And they start out with this meme, quote, translated, Turkey Unlimited, now available without Turks. 
reads a mock tourism advert on social media, poking fun at the sight of tourists roaming quiet streets while most Turks are confined to home by coronavirus, a lockdown. The government exempted holiday foreign makers from the two and a half week long lockdown in an effort to revitalize tourism, critical sector of the Turkish economy. Those arriving in Turkey must show proof of a negative uh, COVID-19 test. And a couple of dual citizens have been getting in trouble in Turkey. So if you have dual citizenship or if you are a foreign resident living in Turkey, so if you are a foreign resident, but you've got a, you know, you've got papers to live in Turkey or work in Turkey, but you have a foreign passport, a lot of people have been getting fined because they've been using their foreign passport and the government had to put out a, a strict warning saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, if, if, if you... If you have a residency permit, you can't use then your foreign passport to get out of this holiday making exemption. And all none of it makes sense. I mean, none of this makes any logical sense. The lockdown does, yeah, but it doesn't work if you don't lock everybody down. And it's difficult to brand yourself as a tourist destination when literally all the citizens of the country can't leave their house. It's kind of weird. I can imagine it's pretty surreal if you're a visitor visiting Turkey right now. Um, but I, I think it goes, it really is, you know, detrimental to what they are trying to achieve. Um, and it says, uh, this tourist guy says, this is a great time for the tourists now because Turks can't go out. Um, but he brushed aside local frustrations about the lockdown. And then the article goes on. This is the way it has to be. No, it isn't. Let me, let me chime in and be like, no, that is not the way it has to be. Tourists have made payments and reservations. Tourism is important for Turkey and the wheels of the economy have to keep turning. Yes, but tourists can also get and spread COVID, right? That's one thing. Two, you are a tour guide. How do you think, like, wait a minute, you are now able to go out. So maybe it's easier for you, but what is the goal here, right? Like, are we trying to stem the you know the spread of covid are we trying to revitalize the economy like you know it doesn't make any sense so you know right and this is an international problem too like people are spreading covid all over the world like these variants like the india india variant is popping up all over the place you know the south africa variant brazil variant. those variants aren't they're not teleporting right they're not using Tra transporter from, from Star Trek. Those are because people are moving around the world. Um, and so uh, if I sound annoyed, I, I, I am a little bit because then this doesn't just doesn't make sense, you know? So it's, uh, it's trying to achieve openness to tourism, but also stem coronavirus, which is really raging, sort of out of control in the country. So I think these two things, you know, there's no, you can't have it both ways, I think. And uh, I think in the long term, this is only going to slow down the recovery. And a recent article today I read said that Turkey is not going to extend the lockdown past the 19th. And there's a very, uh, you know, sort of economic reason for that. It's going to be the summer tourism season like last year. I assume things are going to open up again. And then come, you know, October, November, they might start to close down again. Obviously, you know, more people might be vaccinated at that time, so on. But I think it's going to prolong uh, any kind of recovery. And not to mention, a lot more people are just going to end up getting sick and possibly dying who didn't have to. Um, so those are my takes. But uh, a little bit of a tangent on Turkey's um, 
sort of uh, corona measures going there. But on top of that, so we've got a lockdown for the entire country, except for tourists, right? So except for holidaymakers, so that they can go. Um, and then on top of this, there's another thing. So this article from The Economist talks about alcohol sales. So The Economist starts out, quote, Europe's autocrats have different views on COVID-19 and strong drink. Uh, Alexander uh, Lukashenko, Belarus's president, says vodka might ward off the virus. Turkey's president uh, begs to differ shortly after he ordered Turks to stay at home for 18 days, starting on April 29th. After a round of surge in COVID cases, his government said it would ban alcohol sales during the entire lockdown. The reaction was as predictable as a hangover from too many glasses of raka, a local alcoholic drink. Um, when that announcement was made, it said, quote, thirsty Turks besieged supermarkets and liquor stores. Obviously, a lot more people, you know, buying beer and wine. All of those had disappeared from the shelves at record pace. Now, you can imagine people crowding stores like they did during the first lockdowns to buy bread and supplies because these things are announced very quickly probably creates more crowding. Uh, but there is opposition to this. So the main opposition, a chairman, deputy chairman of the main opposition party uh, says this is a clear attempt to interfere with people's private lives and the way of life, referring to the alcohol ban. It also has political undertones. Opposition supporters tend to be in metrop metropolitan and secular. Wait, opposition supporters tend to be metropolitan and secular. Ruling party supporters are more likely to be rural, pious and teetotal. So they don't drink alcohol is, is what it's saying. Uh, and then it goes into talking about how there is a strong case for a lockdown because of what has happened in Turkey. But the article goes on and says, quote, they have not explained exactly how banning booze sales will help. When Turkey imposed similar measures during weekend lockdowns last year, the interior minister claimed that, quote, all Western countries, unquote, had limited alcohol sales during the pandemic and the decision was consistent with scientific views. Well, in fact, only a handful of countries, including Thailand, India, and South Africa have imposed such bans. And the World Health Organization recommends that people avoid alcohol to protect their immune system. It does not recommend that governments decide for them. And the backlash in Turkey has been strong. So uh, this, this is, you know, an interesting move. There are probably people uh, bootlegging. I'm sure there's a lot of sort of uh, quiet sales in stores and local shops uh, happening, and probably a lot of people trying to make alcohol as well, which has in all three of those countries, Thailand, India, and South Africa, caused people to die when they try to make their own alcohol. So don't, don't do that. Um, but there's a lot of things going on. Um, it, it, you know, a lot of, a lot of things. It's, it seems like something simple when you look at it from a high level. You go, okay, Turkey's had a surge in COVID cases. I wonder why is the question. I wonder why, you know, um, when you have so many tourists and holiday makers coming and, and, and so on, if you left the country wide open, I wonder why the cases are surging. Um, but the lockdown now makes sense. However, there are these two other things happening one is the alcohol ban, which is um, more, you know, there's, you could make an argument and you could say, okay, well, people are going to be home alone, um, you know, or maybe depressed because they can't go out. And so this might help. 
people's mental health, um, maybe. But that's not the argument that's being made here. Um, there are clearly some undertones, religious and otherwise. And then on top of that, you have people who are still able to visit the country and go on holiday and go sightseeing and all of that stuff. So these things don't make any sense. I wanted to bring it to your attention because it's just, it's uh, another one of the ways I think that this pandemic has sort of shifted the world. It's sort of shifted in a lot of countries, the government's reach. Um, and it's, it's, it's enabled them to be able to, to sort of take more, to reach beyond just trying to slow down the spread of uh, coronavirus. All right, so now let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit behind the scenes. I've had some fun making, I always have fun making videos. I, I love it. But this was some more fun ones now that it's warmer and I can do things outside. Um, I've gotten a kind of interesting reaction from a couple. So I just want to go back. First of all, just some behind the scenes um, of a hidden camera test. So this was a lot of fun, something that I've been interested to do for a while. So I've reviewed bug detectors. I mean, not like insect detectors. These are detectors which uh, look for surveillance devices. I've used the whole range of these things and get thousands of, you know, thousands of dollars. They can get really like crazy expensive and complex. And I've used ones that are consumer level, which are like, you know, 50 to hundred dollars. Now they're even getting less expensive. And one of the critiques of those reviews I made, people have said, those things don't really work. Those are just toys. They don't really work. And uh, I wanted to put it to the test. So what I did was I had my sister book a vacation rental for me. I said, I don't, don't, you know, make it kind of within reasonable range of me that I can get to it. I don't want to know the place. I've never seen it. No idea what kind of place, apartment house, how many floors, bedroom, just book something. And then I want you to go and hide a bunch of hidden cameras and microphones and anything you want in there to try and see if I can find those devices using kind of the basic security approach, how I would take it. But then on top of that, using this hidden uh, surveillance, hidden bug sweeper, bug sweeper, not hidden. Yeah, bug sweeper, right? Uh, so that was a lot of fun. So uh, the, the place ended up being in West Virginia. Um, which is a lovely state. By the way, they are, the government there is giving people, digital nomads and location-independent people, $12,000 if they live there for a year. That's uh, something I'd read about. They do it and they give you $1,000 a month So uh, to encourage people and remote workers to, to go there. And if you haven't been, it's, uh, it's beautiful. I mean, the mountains... The nature, if you love the outdoors, it's, I mean, John Denver was, you know, those country roads, they, they, they are, they are really nice. But um, anyway, so got there and then um, that was it. So basically, you know, my sister spent, I, I want to say 30 minutes, maybe a little bit, maybe more hiding devices. How many devices? I didn't know. What devices? I did not know. The reason is because, well, if you book a vacation rental, you're not going to know if there are any hidden cameras or microphones in there and how many there might be. I mean, you're going in blind, essentially, which is what I did. And I wanted to recreate it. Uh, so I was like, all right, let, let's go ahead. Let's let's see if I can find the detector. Now, this 
find the bugs. But now th there's a couple of things behind the scenes going for it, Go going, I, I guess, to explain, I should say. Um, basically, one is that I'm setting up cameras of my own to film myself all over this apartment, which ended up being, you know, a kitchen, a living room, bathroom, and a bedroom. So it wasn't huge, but it was big enough. Uh, and I'm setting up my own cameras to film things and I'm filming everything. So like, as I'm as using the detector, I'm using it through uh, the camera. So I'm like looking at it through the camera. And I will say, I think that probably made it more difficult because I was focusing on lighting and, and making sure everything was lit well and all that stuff. And maybe I wasn't a thousand percent on the detector. And the reason I mentioned that is because uh, there are a few things that I missed. So first step was to do a visual inspection. And I was really lucky that my sister hid this small, tiny box camera on top of a white painting with a white background. Like It, it was high up. Um, but I caught that one pretty quick and my confidence was pretty good. I was like, all right, this is going to be really, really easy. Like no, no problem. So do my, continue my visual scan and don't find anything else visually. Uh, so a lot of times you can just look around, and find something weird by just looking at the places that a creeper would want to watch you. Like, you know, common areas. Okay. You know, you, you can look around those, but they're, you know, the more sensitive places like the bedroom, and the bathroom. Those are the kind of places where, you know, you definitely want to be sure that nobody's watching you. A common area is still creepy and weird, but maybe a little bit less sensitive. So I started with the bathroom, found, found the bug there, uh, went into the bedroom, didn't find anything visually. Same thing with the kitchen living room area. And then I switched over. I looked at pictures of the, the, uh, the rental online try to see, you know, something out of place. Is there like a big teddy bear, uh, you know, with beautiful shiny eyes looking at me or something like that. There wasn't. Um, then it went from there to the detector. And the detector, actually, if you go back and look at the video, so it did find a hidden microphone, a microphone that was hidden inside of a pen. So it was, looks like a pen, but it's a microphone. The pen is heavier than a normal pen. I mean, you could kind of feel the weight, but, you know, that didn't completely give it away. But if you look at, there's another, there's a thing that I did miss, which is a small camera that was inside of a USB charger that you plug into the wall. Those are very common. I see a lot of those. I see a lot of those. A lot of people have them. They basically, they plug into the wall. You plug in your USB port. It's basically a charger, except it's got a little camera in it and a USB-C, sorry, not a USB-C, um, micro SD card on the back. Those are really common. They're really hard to detect as well. Um, the only way you would detect it really is if you plug in something to charge. I mean, we'll still charge your phone, but you being closer to the to the actual device might help you see the little camera pinhole that's on the top. But if you look at the video, there's a slight beep when I actually move the detector in the direction of that camera, and I didn't catch it. It was a little bit too far out of range. The beep was very quick. It was a blip, and I didn't catch it and go toward that device because I think I would have caught it. Now, that device probably not putting out a lot of, you know, radio frequencies. It's very small, a visual scan in the dark. So it does, these uh, bug sweepers usually have a little red sort of lens that you can look through in the dark and then you can see reflective surfaces like a camera lens. It's really good for glass, especially glass that's rounded in the shape like a lens would be. 
I would have caught it then, but it was low. It was like lower than my knees. You know, it was like at that kind of sort of floor level that I wasn't looking. Um, again, if somebody's watching you, it's maybe not the greatest angle, but it's still wide angle enough to where, you know, you could, you know, you could get, you would be seen on, on camera. And, and it did have a direct line of sight to the bedroom, at least through the door, not to the bed, but through the door. Uh, but the detector did kind of catch that. It definitely caught the microphone. The mi it went crazy on the microphone. Um, there was another Logitech camera hidden and so on. And you can watch that video, but it was just a lot of fun to try to find all of those devices. And I think what it should show you is that those devices are very common. A lot of Airbnb owners, a lot hide hidden cameras and microphones in their rentals. You wouldn't think so, because a lot of the stories that you hear about are made, you know, they do make the news, but a lot of them, you know, either people find them, they don't make the news. And a lot, I'd say probably most people don't find or realize that they're being recorded. Some of these hidden cameras are there for years before someone notices. Um, so, and let's just talk about hotel rooms. You know, those are not, those are also not immune, uh, you know, pinhole cameras, hidden microphones, all that stuff. So I would definitely do a sweep. I, you know, I don't know if everybody needs to travel around with a bug sweeper, but paranoid me would, I mean, you know, I would, I would definitely do at least the visual inspection. I would do the network scan, all those things in the video, bug sweeping. It maybe is a step above, but, um, Hey, you know, if you're using a lot of Airbnbs, a lot of people's homes, a lot of people are going to record you. Cameras are only going to get smaller. So I would, you know, maybe give you some peace of mind. Of course, doesn't mean you're catching everything. So when you're in a hotel room or a rental, just, you know, um, always be, always be wary. But I, I just thought that was a fun, fun experiment. I think it really showed that those bug sweepers can, can work if used properly and without user error, which definitely happened on my part. Now, the other behind the scenes I want to talk about is I posted a video about whether or not the you can see the curvature of the Earth from your airplane seat uh, window. So if you're flying at cruising altitude, a lot of us see a curve on the horizon, you know, and we go, hey, people are so dumb, these flat Earth people, morons, you know, they can't, you can see the curve from a plane. Well, yeah, you can see a curve, but that is not the curve of the Earth. That is more due to the lens effect that the uh that the the glass of that plane window is giving you actually from your plane seat you'd need a 60 degree view to be able to see the uh, curvature of the earth and it's small it's like a three degree difference it's from sea level it's tiny you're not up that high it seems like we're up really high but compared to the size of the earth we're really not that up that high up we're about if you were to shrink down the earth into a beach ball, I love this fact, then an airplane flying, the whole atmosphere, the whole breathable atmosphere would be as thick as a piece of paper. So you're not up that high. You're maybe like, in an airplane, you're like two, maybe three sheets of paper high. So not that high. You can't really see the curve from an airplane. Maybe on a clear day, if you were in the pilot seat where you have all those windows, you have a great bigger, you know, you have a bigger uh, angle of view, you might be able to detect a slight, slight curve. But from your airplane, you're from your passenger seat, you're not going to see it. So I look at the video 
I check it out. I go back and uh, YouTube has put a notice and it says it, it takes you to a page about why flat earth theory is wrong on Wikipedia. thought that was really interesting. I was like, oh, usually if I talk about coronavirus or COVID, then those come with um, also this sort of notice that talks about, you know, get the latest information from and it goes to an official site because those are controversial topics. But, I, you know, it's funny now that the earth being round is a controversial topic. If you are a, if you're someone who thinks the earth is flat and you've turned this off or fuming, um, because, you know, when you go into the analytics of a video, I can see where people spike or drop off or what they like and what they don't. The people did not like the, the moments when I said that the earth is round. It was very interesting. I was surprised. If you're one of those flat earth people, I mean, there's so many good conspiracies to, you know, there's like aliens, JFK. There's a ton of stuff, ton of fun conspiracies. I don't, the, the earth being flat is just like a terrible one. This is definitely round. There's like a zillion ways to prove it. I mean, there's freaking spaceships have been sent to the moon, have taken pictures of the earth. I mean, what more, what more, what more do you need? Right. Uh, but I got a lot of messages, um, people telling me that the earth is flat. A lot of people telling me that I was wrong. A lot of people just not either. They love it or hate it. That's how that video turned out. I, I just thought that was interesting. I don't, I don't know why, but it was just, I was like, oh, now that now the earth being round is controversial. So um, yay humanity, I guess, like we, we, we can do better, guys. We can do better. Anyway, the last thing I want to talk about behind the scenes is the NBA. So the NBA began opening up stadiums, uh, limited capacity, depending on where you happen to be, which state. But uh, in Washington, D.C., the Washington Wizards have been allowing fans for the last couple of games, 2,100 fans out of a total capacity of the arena is 20,362 or 365. I don't, it's, it's, you know, about 20,360 something. Um, and I was one of those first people. Yay. I was able to find tickets after quite a bit of searching. I found tickets. I went to an NBA game. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun and weird. You know, it was like a Dystope. It was like one. It's like watching Minority Report, you know, where there had been a pandemic or something. It was kind of weird because you get to the stadium. And there's very few people outside. There's six feet of distancing being enforced by staff. Um, they were very careful to have people spread out in security. Um, there was a sign. You know, you had to wear a mask the whole time. Obviously, uh, there was a sign, you know, with all these questions about your health and, you know, symptoms and all that. And you had to verbally confirm that you had read and understood the questions before you were allowed in the stadium. And then they had different entrances depending on where people were sitting. So different street entrances for the stadium if you were in the 100 or 200 levels, which, by the way, there are no tickets at those lower levels. I think all of those um, seats are given to season ticket holders. It's like impossible to find those. But plenty of 400 level seats which, you know, can be fun, uh, but was more fun without having all the people there. So it's basically like having like rows to yourself. Um, you know, you can see the court. There's not a bunch of heads, people's heads in your way. It wasn't hot. It wasn't as stuffy. It was really nice, actually. Um, you wanted to get food or drinks to have those. Uh, you can get food and drinks. And now in boxes instead of open paper trays, it was a lot less, uh, a lot less difficult to spill so nice to have that box 
Um, that guy, a, guy, a beer guy walking around selling beer. All in all, it was a much nicer experience because there was just fewer people, like a lot fewer people. It was like having the stadium to yourself. Um, and staff had these, was was weird, one of the weirdest things. I mean, I'm glad they did it, but it was just weird to see they had these stop signs in their hands, like these red signs. And so people, you know, especially in the very beginning of the game would, you know, take a sip of beer and then leave their mask either under their nose or just completely off or whatever. And staff would go around and just yell, like basically make a scene to get you to pull your mask up, which I think was great. I, I think they definitely, the staff, I can't talk for all the NBA games. I think the NBA has handled COVID pretty well, I have to say. But I think at least in Washington, D.C. at the Capital One Arena, I think staff are taking it this very seriously. It was still enjoyable. The only real difference was there were a lot less people and you had to wear a mask. And that was it. And, you know, like you kind of think about it. If you go to a stadium again, like 30,000 people wearing a mask, maybe is not a terrible idea. There's a lot of, a lot of people breathing around you. It's not just coronavirus out there. You know, there's the, the cold and flu and all that stuff. Uh, and having a box for your food is probably nicer because when the stadiums are full and all those people screaming, like it's, it's probably all kinds of stuff in your food that you don't even want to know about. Um, but anyway, it was a, just a really weird experience that was also really nice. But you go, wow, this is this is weird. This is like some movie I had seen 10 years ago about a dystopian future. And now we are in that dystopian future where people are just wearing masks and there's no people in the stadium all very weird i would say if you're going to an nba game or if you're interested you like basketball you have a stadium nearby i would go i would say try to get tickets i would say try to get tickets see if you can go it's just really weird and i don't i think probably by next season they're going to be closer to full capacity you know even at two twenty one hundred people like it's still, you know, it still felt kind of full. I don't, you know, I'm assuming they sold all the tickets, but, you know, at eight, nine, ten thousand people, I've been to games, you know, that have half capacity. You know, the team's not good that year or whatever, and it's still, you know, pretty packed at that point. Um, but what one thing that was different is at the end of the fourth quarter, you know, and the team is winning and the Wizards were winning. It was it was just an amazing game. I mean, there was like records being broken. They were winning by a lot. They were clearly going to win the game. Usually, like, toward the end of the fourth quarter, people start leaving early, either to get to the Metro first, you know, before the subway's crowded and all that. You didn't have to worry about that because the subway was totally empty. Going to the stadium, the stadium was pretty much empty. Everyone is so rare to see. Everyone was in their seats until the final buzzer. And it was just really weird and nice. Like I said, no lines in the bathroom, any of that. So uh, if you want to see what that was like, all those videos are up. If you want to tell me that I'm wrong about the earth being round uh, or you want to see me trying to find those hidden cameras and what those look like or you want to see some basketball, those videos are all up on YouTube right now. All right, last thing I want to talk about is the future of air travel. So we've talked a lot about how travel has basically stopped since COVID, but um Tech hasn't. Tech has kept on rolling on and it's just keeps moving forward. Tech has not slowed down really, not considerably, but travel has. But where they meet, the travel tech of planes has continued to improve. And there are a lot of different things like you've seen these digital passports. We've talked about that before. But 
pilots going paperless is something that is happening and more frequent things you might not think about. So, you know, airplane pilots going through their checks and the paperwork that they get because they do a ton of paperwork, as we know from my interview with Tasha, the pilot, that pilots are doing a lot of paperwork before you take off. You, know, you often see them when you're boarding with all the stacks of papers in their hand. Well, a lot of airlines like Singapore Airlines, for now, those papers are now just a tablet or an iPad. So instead of giving them paper, they're giving them an iPad so that all this process is paperless. Um, and it says, quote, in this BBC Future article, it says, before digitization, a flight briefing package on a 13-hour flight from Singapore to London would constitute 90 sheets of paper covering the flight plan, any weather information, and additional operational information, this Captain, Captain Raj says. But the weather during such a long flight can change dramatically, so even that paper will not really give you a complete accurate representation of what you're going to have, but it was the best we had at the time. Now, with an internet-connected tablet, pilots can review the latest weather updates, including any information about turbulence en route. The data is recorded and fed to a centralized server so that all flights have access to it ahead of time. Thanks to this technology, pilots are better able to plan with bad weather in mind, the captain says. And then it goes on. And I wish I, I wish I, I should have made this a video version of the podcast, but there's also augmented reality. This is kind of cool. This, this basically what this is. Imagine you're a pilot. You're sitting in the cockpit. You're looking out the window, right? You've seen cars that have this, that uh, windshield display. This is basically the same thing where they can see when they're landing. They can line up to the runway. They have like their speed and the altimeter. All that stuff is now like directly in front of them with this augmented display. But this other cool thing that I thought was really cool uh, on top of that is this, which is a... 3D database view. It says, quote, imagine flying and approaching bad weather or late at night when you can't see anything outside. It looks completely dark and featureless to the naked eye. But if you look through the synthetic vision system, you are able to see a composite image of the world, including ground features and terrain with great fidelity, says Captain Raj. This is a huge game changer. So it's kind of like uh, Google Maps or, or Google Earth through the window of the plane, through what the pilot is seeing. So they would then be able to make out and maybe help the human brain because a lot of times when you can't see a horizon or when you're upside down, it's very difficult to, you know, in the air, the, you know, the human senses aren't designed to detect whether you're, you know, when you're in the sky, whether you're upside down or you're not, you know, all that stuff. So this can help give you, give the human brain some more tact, you know, visual feedback to be able to orient yourself better and can reduce potential pilot error. I thought that was really cool. Uh, it was just kind of nice. And there, basically this article goes into the advanced tech that's gonna be uh, coming in planes. And what could be next is pilotless planes. But the captain in this article says he doesn't think that it will happen soon, at least not in the next 25 years. And if it does happen, at least one pilot will probably be required as fully automated systems may not be able to cope with compounding failures that can occur. David Debney, a chief engineer at the Aerospace Technology Institute, agrees while a single pilot operation may be rea reality in 2050, it's unlikely that a fully autonomous aircraft without a pilot will be flying commercial passenger operations in this time frame. This is particularly related to the technology, regulatory, and legal challenges, but also due to manufacturer product timescales. So 
there you go. I think uh, there's some interesting things happening in the sky. It does seem like, at least from a passenger perspective, aside from those screens that you have, you know, again, the in-flight entertainment, doesn't seem like technology has advanced a lot on a plane, at least as a passenger, at least the, the what you experience as a passenger. But definitely things are changing in the cockpit. And it's really exciting um, to see what's coming up. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening and sharing some of your time with me. I look forward to the episodes that are coming up. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss those. And if you haven't yet, please do leave the Fox Nomad podcast five stars wherever you're listening to this. Google, Apple, you know where you're listening to this. Go ahead and give it five stars. It really helps get the word about the podcast out. Thank you very much for listening again. And I will talk to you in the next episode. Oh, and before I forget... Have a great rest of your day.